Hello and welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Happy Mother's Day to all the Mets moms out there. I'm Tim Ryder from the Apple and uh, let's get right to it. First things first, I think we have to talk about Friday night. Uh, as we all remember, uh, when Michael Conforto was leaving the field in the middle of the seventh, yeah, he clearly saw something happening in the tunnel. Uh, alerted his teammates. Everybody rushed down. Um, again, something something was up. <laughs> uh, SNY cameras caught uh, all they could. Not much was apparent at the time. Just again, something was happening. Um, McNeil sprinting back into the tunnel after his ground out uh, in the bottom half, uh, and what appeared to be a mark on his left cheek when he returned to the field in the top of the eighth, gave a couple of clues. Um, Laura Albanese of Newsday. Uh, she brought it up during the post-game presser to Luis Rojas, Louis Rojas, about a uh, the possible mark on McNeil's face. But Rojas, he said he didn't see it. Rojas, <laughs> he didn't really buy into anything that the Mets are saying that night. He was kind of just looking forward, and that's a very cool approach. Um, we'll talk more about that in a second. Uh, when Neil, when McNeil spoke to the press corps after the win, uh, there were no visible marks. So again, you know, I guess. <laughs> whether we're seeing things, whether, you know, the lighting had a different shade, whatever. But um, I, I know Laura brought it up. I definitely saw it during the game. I noticed it. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. As bits and pieces of information emerged, uh, McNeil and Francisco Lindor were tabbed as the two guys who were involved in it. And, uh, again, involved in something. <laughs> uh, a soft wide relay throw uh, to second from Lindor to McNeil on a possible double play earlier in the night was like probably the only potential source of friction that we noticed, but um, we don't we don't know shit, to, to be frank. So, uh, you know, it, again, these things happen. Uh, Lindor tied the game with an electric two-run homer in the seventh. Patrick Mazika, of all people, walked it off in the ninth in a little mishandled dribbler that uh, played at the winning run. And um, I guess after the game was, you know, when the fun really started. And again, it was a, it was a great win, especially considering um, – you know, all that was happening behind the scenes uh, during the game. Um, but really, I guess after the game, it was, uh, is it what everyone uh, draw their attention to? Or what, what everyone's attention was drawn to, I should say. Uh, I broke things down for the Apple the next morning. Um, this is pretty much my take on it. So first, it was hitting approach coach Donnie Stevenson. And then on Friday night, a critter of some sort. Neither are likely real, but hey, whatever it takes for this team to start winning ball games. We're going to take it. Um, whatever happened down that tunnel in the middle of the seventh, it was obviously big enough for the team to collect, collectively brush it underneath the rug. And to be honest, that's refreshing. Um, you know, many times over the last few years, we've seen all kinds of stories come out of the Mets clubhouse from the harmless to the absolutely mind-blowing, um, causing, you know, unnecessary waves in its wake. Um, it doesn't feel like this one's escaping the uh, the locker room, and that's you know, like I said, it's refreshing. It's great news. Um, just, you know, what happens in-house happens in-house. And what happened post-game Friday was, you know, akin to like a, a players-only meeting. Um, the group came together. They figured out how to deal with this. And then they got it done. You know, it's no one else's business what happened in that tunnel or in the locker room or what led up to it, except for the guys in that room. And we should be okay with that. Uh, as long as the good times continue to roll, um, you know, it's water under the bridge. You know, if the wheels fall off, you know, you can be pretty sure that this media core is going to be all over this little episode and they're going to look back on it. But um, as we're going to talk about 
throughout the episode. I, things aren't looking that way right now. Let's hope that, that they uh, that they continue. And I think the way it was handled kind of falls on the veterans in the clubhouse who, who knew the situation could have easily, you know, spiraled out of control. Um, they put the team first. They concocted this <laughs> one of the most entertaining spin jobs that I've ever heard. And, you know, who better to deliver that message than Francisco Lindor? He was fresh off of a, a two-for-five night, game-tying two-run homer. Um, as we said, Ro- Rojas wasn't touching the, the rat raccoon story that uh, that Lindor brought. He said that him and McNeil were arguing whether it was a rat or a raccoon. And, uh, and McNeil, after the game, said, nope, it wasn't a raccoon. I think it was a possum. And, again, this is all just a troll job. The same thing with Donnie Stevenson last week. It's, you know— it's it's. I get what Zach Scott said on Saturday um, about kind of you know honesty might be the best policy here, but you know it's a major league clubhouse anyway. Um, you know Rojas wasn't touching it. That's fine. He stayed focused, looked at the road ahead. He stayed even keeled. Again, all great things. Um, you know, as opposed to the players who who spun this terrifically wild tale. <laughs> um, you know, Rojas made it very clear that this was an internal incident. It would remain that way. And, uh, you know, he did it in his own, I don't want to say even keeled again, but it's kind of the best way to put it. He just delivered the message like, yep, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not giving you an inch on that front. And, uh, and he kept on moving on. And, you know, it's a, it's a very delicate situation. What goes on behind those doors? Um, there's a lot, Again, we've talked about it with the Donnie thing. There's a lot that we never hear about, and that's exactly how it should be. That's a, that's a it's family business back there. Um, many of us who who have brothers and sisters, uh, we've argued or even fought with those brothers and sisters in the past, and um, you know it, it has to happen sometimes. Things come to a head. The air needs to be cleared. Whatever the case is. Now imagine you have 26 siblings spending, you know hours and hours around each other every day, every week for six months, um, you know, no matter if everyone's cool with each other, no matter if everyone's pulling in the same direction, uh, shit happens. So even, you know, in the optimal conditions, which, you know, at the beginning of the weekend, the Mets were still kind of scuffling, um, tensions can boil over really, really fast. And that's definitely what happened on Friday. You know, we don't know the details. We never will, but it is what it is. It's no big deal. It's kind of just part of the process in some cases, especially for the Mets. So, you know, no matter how the situation came to that point or what actually happened down that tunnel, again, it's a family matter. As fans, I said it for the Apple, we're like the distant cousins in that equation. We only hear about the big stuff, and that's perfectly okay. It is a little concerning that the best story they could come up with is about fucking rats and raccoons and possums. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say this one word for word from the Apple. You know, it, when they asked Francisco, hey, what happened in the tunnel? Oh, Steve, it was crazy. Terry Collins tried to come down from the dugout into the clubhouse. He's in full uniform. He's trying to protect Conforto from left-handed pitching. So McNeil and I were the first ones to see him, and then Conforto saw us struggling. So him and the rest of the team came down to help. Yeah, we got him, though. You know, Terry's a tough cookie. <laughs> you know, something to, along those lines. Um, you know, whatever the case was, uh, was it handled perfectly? No. Uh, but in the same respect, yes, you know, you can't just shake, no, nothing happened. You can't shake that off. We all saw something happen, but, um, you know, they're, they're 
moving right along now. And, you know, they woke up Saturday with a little something to laugh about, even if, you know, everyone else around the situation was kind of building it up as more of a, a circus type situation, which, again, this organization is very familiar with it. The fans are very familiar with it. But this is different. And what what Zach Scott said, um, you know, brushing it off, but, you know, slightly, I guess, uh, lamenting how the story kind of took on a life of its own. You know, what else can you do in that at that situation? I think it was cool that he came out and talked about it and, um, you know, sending a conflicting message than your players is one thing, but the players don't care. Those veterans stepped up and they and they, they did. They, they fought on their feet. They could have came out and said, yep, there was a big problem. There's lots of stuff going on. But, you know, that's just going to open up a brand new can of worms. And that's uh, it's not necessary at this point. Um, Mets came into Saturday and, you know, they got a bullpen game because of some gaps in the rotation. And, you know, if they, if they would have followed up that whole spiel on Friday without a win, you know, all the smiles and stuff, they wouldn't have lingered around. They they, they wouldn't have lingered around. It wouldn't have been a, um, it, it would have kept the story at the, at the forefront and the Mets came out and they, you know. They did their best to kind of erase that story. Um, again, it was a bullpen game, which has been uh, a, you know a tailor-made development for this team so far. Uh, the bullpen's been terrific, and, and really it worked out as possibly as it could. Um, right-hander Tommy Hunter, uh, he started the game, performed very well, turned in two scoreless, hitless innings. Only took him 17 pitches to do so. Uh, the Mets selected his contract on Thursday. It was one day ahead of his opt-out in the deal that he signed in February. It was a minor league deal. So over his first two appearances, um, two innings in each, two innings Friday, two innings Saturday, no runs allowed, you know, he's proving his worth. You can't put too much weight into a couple of appearances, but it's certainly encouraging. Uh, Last season, I mentioned this at the Apple, with Philadelphia, 24 appearances. None of Hunter's four pitches. He throws a sinker, a cutter, a uh, four-seam, and a curve. None of them registered a weighted on base average higher than like 310. Um, you know, that's going to work. That's going to play for, for this team. And even in just a depth role, that's going to work really, really well. Excuse me while I sip my water. I got my second COVID shot on Saturday. I've been very, very dehydrated, very tired today. But I'm a trooper, baby. We're here. So um, after Hunter left... Uh, young Joey Fuego, Joey Lucchese, he came in, he, he was rolling. He worked scoreless through the fifth. A bit curiously, Louis Rojas decided to stick with Lucchese heading into the sixth. We've seen it so far. Um, I, I saw it when he was in San Diego. As you guys know, I, I follow the Padres. Uh, you know, no matter how good Lucchese's throwing, once guys get a good look at him, um, it affords him the chance to kind of look past that funky delivery and his effectiveness diminishes. Opposing batters hit 312. This is over his career. Uh, 312 with a 943 OPS, the third time seeing him. He didn't get there on Saturday, but um, the kind of the same logic applies. You know, guys are going to pick up on this and they're going to say, oh, he only throws two pitches. And, you know, once you look past that all arms and legs delivery, it's, um, you know, it kind of slows it down. And no offense to Lucchese, but his stuff's not that good where it's going to just kind of... <sighs> His stuff is going to get him by. He kind of needs all that funkiness and the deception. We've talked about the deception factor to his stuff, the the spin rotation. Um, he has two pitches that absolutely mirror the they mirror each other as far as the, what this what the hitter sees. Um, 
you know, we've talked about this before. I don't have the, the, the metrics in front of me, but, you know, the Mets got three solid innings out of him. Allowing him to start the sixth or a fourth inning of work, you know, it was a... It was a half-baked plan to begin with, and it really it could have it could have had dire consequences. Um, so Josh Rojas, who, who really had a nice series, the T-backs didn't win any games, but he had a nice series. Um, he singled Christian Walker singled to move uh, runners to the corners with none out, and uh, what the hell is his name? David Peralta. He grounded out to drive in Rojas. That was the end for Lucchese, but you know. Familia comes in and he's got to kind of deal with these base runners and, you know, he, he's been outstanding this year, but we've talked about how <sighs> Familia coming into high leverage situations doesn't always work out great. And again, this year he's been terrific, but, um, you know, you don't want to go to that well too many times. So Familia comes in, he cleans up the mess, he strikes out as Drupal Cabrera and Eduardo Escobar. Escobar's a hell of a young, hell of, no, I was going to say young player, he's not, he's like a 10-year, 11-year veteran, which uh, I think Gary Cohen mentioned it on the broadcast this week. I had no idea. I really didn't. I know he's been having um, very nice offensive seasons, but uh, kind of came out of nowhere, at least on my radar. But, you know, Familia gets out of it, but, but why take that chance? Aside from the Mets, they hadn't allowed it hit up until the, the sixth inning, which would have been fun. But protecting the lead, which is the primary objective, that was put into jeopardy. And, um, you know, it, it worked out fine, no harm, no foul, but you got to wonder where, what the thought process was. Um, again, Familia comes back out for the seventh on Saturday. He navigates around two more two-out singles. Really uh, worked around a couple of awful, awful calls from the um, the home plate umpire, Jeff Nelson. Only reason I remember his name because of the Yankees reliever in the 90s. Uh, I guess if you guys, if you're on Twitter, which most of you are, uh, follow MLB umpire scorecard. They put out actual scorecards from every umpire's appearance on a daily basis. And uh, yeah, Jeff Nelson's scorecard was, a, there was a lot of red on that thing. Uh, it was awful. And um, you saw it with, I guess, Trevor May came in in the ninth um, and missed a, you know, it was a, a clear strike and there was a lot of barking coming from the Mets dugout. But yeah, it was one of those nights for Nelson. And um, it's been a lot of those situations for, MLB umpires across the league this season, it's uh, it's very concerning. You have to wonder whether, whether they're just uh, kind of waiting out the robot umps. They, they might want it at this point. It looks that way. So Familia comes out. He gets through. So he finishes the sixth, gets through the seventh. Took him 37 pitches to do so. Um, <laughs> that had its concerning moments. But, yeah, mission accomplished. He's been a, uh, just a pleasant surprise. Um, Louis Rojas really needs to kind of walk the line with him to maximize his effect. But, uh, boy, when you have a deep bullpen like this, you know, it's, uh, it's good to have another dependable arm. So after Jeff McNeil's two run homer earlier in the game, uh, Francisco, uh, excuse me, Francisco Lindor, who's slowly but surely breaking out of his slump, he stole second on the throw, which bounced off of his heel. Uh, kicked into center, or left center, shallow, no man's land, we'll call it. And uh, he scampered all the way around to score, making it a 3 nothing game. Arizona got one back, but Lindor poked another in in the, uh, in the seventh uh, to score McNeil. And it kind of just put things out of reach. And, you know, that's the type of turnaround you like to see after what went down on Friday. Again, these things happen, and the only way to turn those positives um, – uh, turn those negatives into positives is to learn from it. You build off of it and you move forward. Adversity leads to growth. 
Trevor May talked a little bit Sunday pregame about um, adversity and, and guys working through some things and everyone's kind of moving right along and we're, we're kind of starting to see the, uh, I guess, the fruits of those labor, or the fruit of that labor, I should say. Um, and that's where this team is heading right now. Just everyone's kind of on the upswing. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll hear from our sponsors. We'll break down Sunday. And uh, yeah, good times. Stay, uh, hang tight. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Football is back. And the best bet you can make is downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It doesn't matter if you're new to gambling or an old pro. FanDuel has something for everyone. And as an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you know your bets are safe. There's also never been a better time to use FanDuel. Because right now, you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. You can even turn a small wager into a big payday with a same-game parlay bet. Just sign up with the promo code SPOTIFY to place your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Comcast has built a broadband network with one simple purpose, to keep customers connected every single day. In the last 10 years, we have invested $30 billion and $15 billion since 2017 alone to keep America's largest gig speed broadband network fast, secure, and reliable. Because more Americans rely on Comcast to stay connected, we work around the clock to build a better network every single day. Comcast. Better today, even better tomorrow. Learn more at comcast.com network. The Fall Line is a true crime podcast covering the coldest cases in the southeastern United States and occasionally beyond. We focus on the missing persons, the unsolved murders, and the unidentified does that don't get media attention. Empathetic and intensively researched, The Fall Line will take you on deep dives into unsolved cases that you've never heard of and make you wonder why you haven't. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, guys, we are back. Uh, Again, entering Sunday, uh, Jacob deGrom is back after experiencing a little right side tightness. Missed his last start. Um, You know, came into Sunday, he's the undisputed best pitcher in the fucking universe. (laughs) Uh, 0.51 ERA, 15.17 strikeouts per nine innings. Um, Walks and hits per inning is 0.57. This was heading into Sunday. Uh, All leading the majors by very healthy margins. Um, he was, again, he missed his last start, but he started on Sunday and he looked to be absolutely at hundred percent over the first, uh, five or so innings, uh, worked perfectly through the first two on just 19 pitches. Uh, Michael Conforto made an outstanding jumping, leaping back into the fence catch. Uh, Oh, I think it was Escobar in the first, uh, in the second, I should say to end the second, just, a you know. Top flight play. We talked, you know, a couple of weeks ago about Conforto. Um, you know, it, heading into twenty twenty, Conforto has had been a, a a well above average corner outfielder um, all of twenty twenty, and you know, over the first couple of weeks of this season, wasn't looking so sharp out there. He's really, really turned it around. He looks really just terrific. Uh, the bats getting there. Um, he had, I think he had two hits on Sunday. Just really. Um, very impressive how he's kind of just swung back in, into the into the mix and uh, done it under the radar almost. Everyone was 
really, really getting down on Michael Conforto for slumping early, but uh, no one seems to be, you know, cheering him on now that, you know, he's back to consistent old scooter. I think he's still hitting like, you know, I think he's 280 over his last 15 games or over his last two weeks or something like that. Um, you know, your your 850 OPS, this is the, the player that we're used to seeing. And if he's going to be an above average outfielder again too, even, even better. Uh, the Mets said on Saturday, I believe, that there had been no new traction on contract talks with Conforto. But I think at this point, kind of got to be fine with that. But um, hey, back, back to Sunday. Sorry, I just went off on my little tangent. So DeGrom works through the first and second perfect, got through the third on uh, two more strikeouts. He's sitting 99 with his four-seamer. And then in the bottom half of the inning, he kind of gets involved on the offensive side. Uh, James McCann, whose wife and twin boys were in the stadium on Sunday, uh, SNY panned to him a couple of times. What a good-looking family. Outstanding. I, I hate to see the shit that James McCann's wife been, has been well was taking on Twitter. I don't know. I try not to pay attention to it. But, boy, if you're one of those people, give it a fucking rest, guys. It's his wife. My God. I could not describe the, the, the rage that uh, – I would feel if someone were, were speaking to my wife in such a manner. And, you know, for those of you who, you know, maybe you're not married, but if someone's speaking to your friend or your mother or your girlfriend or your sister in that way, uh, you feel the same. So please, let's let's leave the lovely McCann family out of this. But uh, McCann, who's starting behind the plate again on Sunday after playing on Saturday, I guess Rojas asked him and said, you know, yeah, oh yeah, I'm ready to go. So, hey, you're in there. Uh, he's single to lead off the bottom half of the third. Jacob DeGrom pushed a just a, a textbook bunt down the third baseline. Uh, it was his seventh hit of the season, which that's mind-blowing in itself. Um, McNeil pushed them both into scoring position with a little squibbler in front of the plate. And uh, Francisco Lindor brought McCann home from third with a sacrifice fly with the first run. Michael Conforto and the next at bat went the other way to bring DeGrom home. And, uh, you know, before you know it, DeGrom has two runs of uh, – uh, two, two. Yeah, excuse me. You got two runs on the board in in, uh, in support, and that's more than he ever gets. And uh, you know the offense is starting to look like a you know like an operating machine. It's it's very exciting times, and you know we've said it here a bunch over the last few weeks. Once this time, once this team begins, you know it finds that groove and it begins firing on all cylinders. They're going to be a force, and we were kind of seeing that all take place now. And it's really it's it's extremely encouraging. It's very exciting. Uh, all, all, all great things. <laughs> uh, Jake struck out two more in the um, – oh, excuse me. There we go. So in the fifth, when DeGrom came out, he walked David Peralta to start the inning. Uh, that was his first base runner allowed. Again, he was just – yeah, he, he looked like he was healthy. He looked like he was regular old Jake, just absolutely dominating. Uh, so he walked Peralta, allows a double to Stephen Vogt which was his first hit. So perfect game, no hitter. Those are gone. And then walked Escobar to load the bases with none out. Um, concerning, to say the least, of course, maybe, of course, you know, now that we know what we know, which as of I'm recording this at 7.30 on Sunday, all we've heard is that there's going to be MRIs. We don't know what's going on. But, um, yeah, you know, as far as the bases loaded, Jam, he's been here before. Maybe not this season, but over his career, uh, he was 0 for 8 with three strikeouts with bases loaded, no outs. Um, he made it to 0 for 9 with uh, 
with with uh, three strikeouts in those situations. He got Nick Ahmed to ground into a double play, uh, conceded a run in the process, but that's okay. He walked another hitter, three batters in the same inning, which you never see from Jake. Um, but then he struck out Christian Walker on a four seam, you know, right up the ladder and ended the threat. Um, it, you don't want, you want to hear what's wild. The Arizona run that crossed the plate, it's only the third run that DeGrom's given up this season. Um, you know, that's just unreal. But uh, unfortunately, the whole, the excitement of, of Jacob DeGrom day, it was cut short. Uh, he was warming up for the sixth. He motioned for McCann. SN, SNY cameras saw his face and he was not looking happy. Um, you know, the Mets medical staff and Rojas came out from the dugout and just like that, boom, day's over. So, uh, like I said, the the body language and the expressions that we saw on Jake's face as he's talking to McCann, as he's walking off, they weren't good. Um, it was announced later in the game that DeGrom left for precautionary reasons with the same right side tightness that affected him earlier in the week. It's, you know, it's concerning. Luckily, this Mets rotation has kind of been able to um, really just exceed expectations so far. Um, with guys coming back, with the performances we've seen from Marcus Stroman and Taiwan Walker and even David Peterson, who had a rough rough start his last time out. But he, he's been, you know, he's been consistent to an extent. Um, making a bullpen day work. If Jake does have to miss time, um, which, of course, <laughs> you pray that he doesn't because, you know, the, you know, the treat of watching Jacob DeGrom in his prime, um, that's something that really none of us should be denied of. <laughs> so, uh, you know, every start that he doesn't make is every start that, um, you know, baseball the, that as, a, as a family, as a, as a whole community, um, they're missing out. So hope Jake's well. But, uh, you know, no harm, no foul on Sunday. Um, Miguel Castro, who, you know, it's got to be hard to come in, to come in out of the bullpen uh, without any, you know, any uh, warning whatsoever and just jump into the game. And, you know, Castro suffered a bit uh, early. His command wasn't quite there, but um, I guess he hit Paven Smith with a pitch, walked Rojas on four pitches, but got the next three guys out and, uh, and, and moseyed on. I said on the apple, he should have been a hockey player with skating skills like that. Um, you know, the, the momentum was, uh, was gone with, with DeGrom being out. But, you know, Castro's magician act, it was a lifeline. This team needed him to kind of pick them up. And, you know, he kept the lead intact, kept the energy back up. And it's a, um, it's a quintessential win-win. Uh, New York extended the lead to 3-1 on our buddy Patrick Mazika once again. <laughs> he drew a bases-loaded walk uh, in the sixth. Um, it's the, uh, you know, it, it's the little things, I guess. The next man up mentality. It's it's all great things, but uh, you know, only crossing one run after loading the bases with one out with no hits, by the way, probably not what you want to do all the time. But um, again, the Mets would make it a, a moot point. Tacked on another run in the seventh. Uh, Dom Smith drove in uh, Lindor. Lindor who reached on Edgerubel Cabrera's error at third base. Uh, Conforto notched his second hit of the game to kind of move him along. And like we said, Dom Smith brought him home, made it 4-1. And the Mets bullpen, who heading into Sunday, 3.07 ERA was sixth in baseball. 2.1 wins above replacement from Fangraphs was second in baseball. You know, they took it home. Jacob Barnes came in with a, a, a six-game, seven-inning scoreless streak. Um, did well in his first inning on Sunday. 
Rojas brought him back out for the eighth, let up a solo home run to, yep, you guessed it, our old buddy, the ass man, Asdrubal Cabrera. Um, yeah, I had a decent series. Nice to see him playing still. Uh, but really, I mean, Barnes has been terrific. He, he maybe two innings was asking a lot, but, um, you know, they got by. Uh, so, and especially Saturday with the bullpen day, you know, the bullpen was going to be a little taxed. I'm sure nobody expected Jake to be out of there after the fifth. So, you know, you make, um, you kind of make do. So Josh Rojas doubled to end Barnes's day. And Edwin Diaz got to come in. He's got to get five outs. Um, you know, Ed Diaz has been outstanding this year and it's starting to rain and, you know, five outs is a lot. He's never got a five out save with the Mets. He got one once with the Mariners. And thank you, Gary Cohen, for filling us in during the, uh, during the, uh, during the game with that info. So he comes in and, uh, he hits Josh Van Meter with a 101 mile an hour fastball right to the shin. Ow. I, I just, ah. You felt that pain. You heard you heard it snap. I could have, you know, I wouldn't have been shocked if it turned out that Van Meter broke his leg. Or at least, you know, broke his tibia or fibia, whatever's back there. Um, oh, 101 miles an hour to the fucking shin. Ah! Anyway, so, uh, you know, he finds a little trouble of his own, but 4-6-3 double play off the bat of Peralta and, and, you know, out of the jam. And that's, you know... Very encouraging stuff. I'll keep on using that word until the cows come home. Because that's what it is. To see this team make incremental progress as they've been doing over the last, you know, let's say week or so after, you know, after the consistency was was eluding them for, for so long. And they would find it and then just, you know, get knocked off their pedestal again. And, um, boy, you know, they're coming together. And it's, it's such a cool thing. So Diaz came back out for the ninth. Uh, looking a lot more composed. The rain slowed down. And uh, still, <laughs> the Mets almost managed to, to, to give it away again. Uh, Nick Ahmed, he popped up with two outs right in front of the fucking, right in front of the mound. It dropped right in front of Jonathan VR. It was a little, um, I guess, a miscommunication. So then Dalton Varsho comes to the plate as the tying run. And, 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 you know, all of us are like, oh, geez, we remember... 2015, of course, there was no delay here, but just the game in the rain and the Mets were well on their way to win and it turned into a loss and all these bad memories are flooding back. And, um, you know, it, no no worries because uh, Diaz struck out Varsho. Uh, again, he got his first five-out save with the Mets, completed the weekend sweep, locked up the Mets' first five-game winning streak since 2019. I mean, this is great. This is all good things, especially how – the weekend began to end it on this note is just such a positive and it's such a, um, just, it's, it's a kick in the ass heading into, uh, you get an off day on Monday and with a little momentum behind them, you got, you know, and they're not the Orioles that you thought they were going to be. Many have this Baltimore Orioles team pegged to be a, a, uh, just a punching bag and they're, they're playing decent baseball. Our guy Cedric Mullins is having an outstanding year so far. They're 15 and 19 heading into the, uh, Heading into, I guess, Tuesday. It won't be Monday. It'll be Tuesday. Uh, Two-game series. Our buddy Matt Harvey is starting on Wednesday. He's having a really, really nice year for the Orioles. Um, again, I got my second COVID shot on Saturday. Uh, I'd love to make it to City Field on Wednesday. Wednesday's day game, I believe. I think it's 12-10. Uh, I'd love to make it down to see Matt Harvey pitch. I still have my, uh, my cream-colored 50th anniversary Mets Matt Harvey jersey. 
uh, what was that, 2013? Yeah, I think so. Anyway, um, I think I still have my Matt Harvey head on a stick cut out. Uh, I forget who gave it out at the stadium. One of those big Harvey nights, but uh, we still have all those things. Again, he meant so much to this, meant so much to this fan base, I guess you could say, that, um, you know, to see him succeed, there's always going to be a faction of fans that are, are going to hate and they're going to look back and say, oh, well, he was selfish, this and that. No, he was a fucking kid with a lot of money and a nightlife at his fingertips. And uh, yeah, you know, sometimes you have to put your hand on the stove and burn it and never touch the stove again. I can tell you that from experience. Um, you know, Matt Harvey, he made his decisions and he's clearly, you know, come to grips with those decisions and moved past those decisions and the mistakes that he's made. And, and look at him now. He's back in the major leagues. He's got like a, I think it's a 3.60 ERA. Um, yeah, just, you know, very heartwarming stuff. I think he's always going to have a, a large faction of fans in New York, no matter where he goes. He could even go to the Yankees. I'll still root for him, I swear. So, um, you know, they, the Mets kind of find themselves in, a, in an opportune spot to get a few of those lost victories back. Um, you got the Orioles coming in, you had another off day on Thursday, and then you go on a nine game road trip. You go to Tampa, you go to Atlanta, you go to Miami. Finally, you get to play the Braves and, uh, stack up against them. Hopefully, I know from a Mets fan's perspective, you know, you're, you're always looking forward to, oh, hey, oh, Acuna's on the IL. Oh, that's a shame. But, uh, you know, as a baseball fan, I, I, I love Acuna. And of course, you know, if the Mets play the Braves and it just happens to be a time he's on the injured list. Uh, you know, the Mets catch a break because he's a game changer. But, you know, I guess selfishly as a baseball fan, I kind of want to see him play. Because, man, he's hitting these, you know, 475-foot rockets. Um, they're just an exciting player. So, you know, you have a chance to kind of, I guess, put a feather in your cap in the little mini Orioles series before departing on what's going to be probably a tough road trip. Tampa's a good team. Atlanta's a very good team. Miami's no slouch. Um you know, you have a lot of <laughs> a lot of really, really fun, talented players in Miami. Um, I know they're scuffling right along at 500 now, just like the rest of baseball is. Parity has just been so, so uh, prevalent across the game. It's it's wild, but especially in the NL East. I mean, I think the Mets overtook the Phillies for first place, and they're only what 16 and 13 after the uh, after the series win, I believe, something to that effect. But uh, you know, it's um. It's going to be a tight one. All year, it's going to be a tight one. And, and you know, heading into – well, Tampa, you know, interleague play I'm not crazy about. Um, it is what it is. Tampa's a very good team. I think it's a cool litmus test, especially, um, you know, now that this team is kind of picking up steam. I think that'll be a really good uh, measuring stick for them. But, you know, going into Atlanta and Miami, um, you know, you kind of have to have – you got to dig down deep for the same momentum you found in this series against – you know, and again, it's the it's the Diamondbacks, but you know, it's still a while. coming together, especially when so many other things are happening. Um, it says a lot about the the leadership. It says a lot about the um, the direction this team is heading, the identity that they're trying to find. But you know, I guess putting something together without getting too far ahead. You know, putting a feather in their cap before departing for Florida would probably serve them well. That's what I was trying to get at. But I think that's all we got for today. Uh, we'll be back on Friday with a new episode. You know where to find us. Let's go, Mets, everybody. We'll see you then. Yes!